Hello and welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the fences. I'm really glad you're listening today. This is episode six of the podcast, and today we're asking the question, is God really love? So this statement, God is love, is one of the phrases that gets repeated a lot in Christianity. It's also a phrase that a lot of non-Christians use very often to point out the hypocrisy of Christians who don't seem to act very lovingly. So is God really love? And if that's true, then what does it really mean to say that God is love? I wrote something in my blog um, a while back about how I believe that we should arrange our lives around this concept that God is love. And a, um, a ministry colleague of mine contacted me privately and said something to the effect that we have to be really careful when we say that God is love. And, and this person's argument was that it seems like God has a lot of other attributes besides just love, right? Especially when we read the Old Testament. And so what about God's power and God's glory and God's honor? What about God's anger and jealousy? What about God's wrath? Just saying God is love, this person said, can make our idea of God seem kind of small and impersonal. And my response, as I recall, was that maybe it wasn't so much that our idea of God was too small, that maybe our idea of love is too small. So we get this statement, God is love, most directly from this letter in the Bible that's written either by or in the name of one of Jesus's first followers, a guy named John. Now, there's more than one John in the Bible, so it can get kind of confusing, but this John is not the guy that we know as John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin. This John and his brother James were fishermen, and they were sons of a guy named Zebedee. Now, that doesn't really mean anything for the sake of this conversation. I just like saying Zebedee. They were also known as the Sons of Thunder. And while I think that's pretty cool, I just don't think it's as cool as Zebedee. So, so this follower of Jesus named John, or one of John's later followers who wrote down the things that John said to the group of people that John led after Jesus' death and resurrection, wrote a letter to some people where he described God's relationship to love. And in that letter, there was a lot of stuff about how the people the letter was written to should love each other because love comes from God. And that if you don't love each other, you really don't know God. And that we can't really love God on our own power but only because God loved us first. And the reason for all of that is, according to this letter, because God is love. Now that makes a really nice saying to put on a bumper sticker, but, but what about all that other stuff that my friend asked me about? How could a God who is love, for instance, apparently order the genocide of whole races of people in the Old Testament? How could a God who is love command the execution of women caught in adultery or the banishment of people who had skin diseases or wore the wrong clothes or ate the wrong foods? 
How, how could we say that God is love, but then also say that God has designed it so that people who don't think the right thoughts about that God or say the right things about that God have to suffer for eternity after they die? And what kind of God would ordain the death of one that was called God's only son as a substitution for the deaths of all of the rest of us poor sinners who really deserve it. If all of those things are true of God, it's hard to see how we can really say that God is love. There are a lot of people who believe that every word of the Bible is absolutely true and 100% historically accurate. And a lot of those people would say that if the Bible says God is love, then God is love. But if the Bible also says that God is a genocidal murderer, then that just must be one of the ways that God expresses God's love. And these folks have invented all kinds of like theological acrobatics to prove their point. And I think that's why a lot of people have an awful lot of trouble believing us when we say that God is love. Now, a lot of those people who would have us think that God's wrath and God's anger and all of those other destructive things that seem to come with it are part of how God displays God's love, basically have this idea that if God is God, then God can do anything that God wants to do, and that if God is good, then anything God does is good. And so if the Bible tells us that God did all those seemingly awful things to people, they must somehow reflect God's true goodness. It's just that God's ways are not our ways, and so we can't possibly understand exactly what it is that God is up to in those cases. And they use that reasoning to say that we should not only love God, but we should also fear God, right? Because God's goodness, some of them would call it God's holiness or God's righteousness, might require our own punishment someday if we don't do exactly what the Bible says that God says we should do. But that same letter that says that God is love, by the way, also says that perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so anyone who fears doesn't really know what love is. So that kind of leaves us asking the question, which, which way is it, right? How, how does this God is love thing really work? So here's what I think. The more that I read and study and engage with the texts of the Bible and with a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me and who write about biblical interpretation, and the more I learn about the actual words and actions of Jesus, the more convinced I am that God is love is not only a true statement, but it's a revolutionary statement. You see, I think these people who think that we have to somehow balance out God's love with God's wrath are really simply assigning attributes to a God who they really believe is more or less just like us, an invisible man in the sky who basically acts like a cosmic puppet master, pulling strings here and there to make things happen in nature and in human existence. But what if that statement, God is love, isn't just about an attribute? What if it's not just about God having love or showing love or sharing love? 
What if it's more of a descriptor of God's very nature, of God's very being? You see, I think that's what the writer of that letter called 1 John is talking about. At Accidental Tomatoes, we're building a community of people looking for ways to find faith and spirituality beyond the walls and fences of the traditional church. While our blog and our podcast are always absolutely free, if you'd like to go deeper with more resources and conversations, we invite you to support us through the Patreon platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can receive bonus content, including a monthly newsletter, patrons-only commentary, and much, much more. Just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn how. And now, back to the podcast. Now, none of this, by the way, is a new idea. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, a French philosopher and scientist and a Jesuit priest, posited this very notion about a hundred years ago that if God is the creator of all that is, and if God's very essence is love, then love itself is the very creative force of the universe. Now, I get that that's a difficult concept to get our heads around, right? And again, I think maybe that's because our concept of love is actually kind of small. I think we mostly think of love in emotional terms, right? It's, it's a feeling we have that makes us sentimental, I guess, towards other people. But what if love is really much, much more than a feeling or a sentiment? What if we thought of love more like a force of nature, like an invisible power that not only unites people emotionally, but actually holds all of the universe together? You see, this same follower of Jesus who gets credit for writing the letter that says God is love is also credited for writing one of the Gospels, basically one of the biographies of Jesus. And in the very opening lines of the Gospel of John, the writer says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that everything that was created was created by this Word, and nothing that was created was created without this word. And then a little further down, the writer says that this word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, theologians will tell you that the writer is using this term word to describe Jesus, and that the point is to align Jesus's story with the Genesis narrative of creation at the very beginning of the Old Testament. And so they point to this passage as the root sort of, of of what we would call our theology of the Trinity, right? That, that notion that states that God exists as three distinct persons that we call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one essence or one being. In other words, they try to use this text to prove that the human being, Jesus, was also God in the flesh. And they use phrases like Jesus was both fully human and fully divine to describe how Jesus was somehow mysteriously both 100% a person and also 100% God all at the same time. 
Now, I know a lot of people have a lot of trouble accepting that whole notion, and I get it, right? It's all a very confusing-sounding theory. But what if this notion that God is love is really true? What does that do to our understanding of this story? If what God is, is love, and if Jesus is fully human and fully God, then that would mean that Jesus was able to uniquely live out the fullest expression of what love actually is. Not just a sentiment or an emotion, but a creative force that has the power to heal physical, spiritual, and emotional wounds that transcends religious arguments about who belongs and who doesn't, that recognizes and celebrates the inherent, God-given worth and dignity of each individual human being that was ever born. Honestly, to me, that's the only way any of this story makes any sense at all. Not by shrinking our idea of God down to love, but enlarging our idea of love to God. And if all that is true, maybe we could read the lines, the, the first lines of the Gospel of John a slightly different way. Maybe we could say, in the beginning was love. And love was with God, and love was God. It was by love that all things were created, and nothing was created without love. And love became flesh and dwelt among us. It gives a little bit of a different twist to the story, does it? Now, again, none of this is a new idea. It's just one that I don't think we hear articulated this way often enough. In fact, if you want to go a little bit deeper into this notion, I highly recommend Richard Rohr's marvelous book, The Universal Christ, and his podcast series that goes along with it called Another Name for Everything. That book and that podcast, I think, help unpack this concept uh, a little more fully. But here's the point, I think for you and me trying to live out our lives in this world that seems to be filled an awful lot with anything but love. If God is love, and God created all things, and we, humanity, are created in the image and likeness of God, then our true essence, at our deepest core, is love. Now, because God is not just a giant, invisible, cosmic puppet master, and because True love requires full freedom. We, humanity, have a tendency to see this whole story as being about us. And so we twist and contort things in the world to serve our own selfish desires, our desires for, for comfort, for security, for safety, for influence, for privilege. But the reason that those things always leave us feeling a little empty, a little unfulfilled, I think, is because they all really go against our core essence. Now, a lot of those folks who would have us believe that love is just one among many attributes of God and who claim that God's punishments of us are righteous aspects of God's love would have us believe that our problem is a thing called sin. 
And they throw that word sin around like a shame bomb, trying to guilt us into living by their rules. But if we're going to use that word sin, and it's a legitimate word to use, but we better understand what it actually means if we're going to use it. And the word from the earliest texts that we have comes from this Greek word, hamartia, which is an archery term, right? That means missing the mark or missing the target. So most of those times, those folks talk about sin in terms of, right, behaviors, doing bad things or doing the wrong things. And they say that when we do those things, when we sin, we're missing the mark of God's holiness. But if God is love, and if love is our true essence, then maybe that definition of sin also comes up a little short. If sin is to miss the mark of our core identity, then maybe what sin really is, is an absence of love. And so the behaviors that we would call sins are really less about breaking rules and more about denying our own true nature, about denying reality itself. And that seems to me to be what this whole Jesus story is really all about. It's about rediscovering and reconciling with the creative power of love that is at the foundation of our existence. And so when we say God is love, maybe what we're really saying is that love is really the only power that can put all of this mess that we live in right. And if we can discover that for ourselves and really begin to live into that truth, into that reality, we can literally change the world. And so that's it for today's podcast. Thanks again for listening. You can find Accidental Tomatoes online at accidentaltomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. So please be sure to like and follow our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages for up-to-the-minute updates of all of the things that are going on in our little community. You can find me, Joe Webb, at my website, joewebwrites.com. And on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Joe Webb Writes. If you have suggestions or ideas for future podcast topics, I would love to hear from you. So please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy our podcast, please, please, please be sure to rate us and review us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcasts, that will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in this conversation. So please keep on growing outside the fences and join us next time for the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.